It's lovely to be with you, and uh, I'd like to extend a warm welcome to all of you, uh, as you've already had that warm welcome earlier. We're going to read from the Word of God, a fairly short reading, and it's from Revelation chapter 19, Revelation chapter 19, and we pick it up halfway through verse 6. Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him the glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, what a tremendous privilege it is to have free access to your word in its fullness. We do pray for our brothers and sisters in the world who have not that privilege. But we thank you today that we can look upon your word. And we ask, O Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would help us to understand its message. That we might rejoice in it and give you the glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure that we all like a wedding, don't we? Forgive me for my little bit of self-indulgence there. A moment of celebration, a time of joy, a coming together of family and friends to support the bride and the groom. I love weddings, and I'm sure you do too. But did you know that you are betrothed in marriage? I am too. So are you looking forward to the wedding feast. For you and I are collectively the betrothed bride of Jesus Christ. For the picture of the church as the bride of Christ is one of the greatest pictures that is used within the Bible to try and explain the relationship between God and his redeemed people. However, this is not simply a New Testament idea, but it is fully embedded within the Old Testament, such that when the readers of the book of Revelation first received those words, they would have quickly understood the significance of the picture of the Bride of Christ because they were familiar with the Old Testament picture of the people of God 
as God's bride. In Isaiah we read these words, familiar words, but do notice that hint about the bride. I delight greatly in the Lord, my soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Maybe not obvious at first, but that is one of those links to the idea that God's people are God's bride. And uh, Jeremiah also takes up this theme, and uh, he goes and proclaims in the hearing of Jerusalem... I remember the devotion of your youth. This is God speaking to his people. I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me and followed me through the desert, through a land not sown. But of course Jeremiah had a challenging message for God's people because they had been disobedient. And that same chapter goes on to say this. It says, does a maiden forget her jewellery? A bride, her wedding ornaments, yet my people have forgotten me day without number. One of the more sad aspects of that picture of God's people being the bride of God. But as we move to the New Testament from the Old Testament, we find that the relationship between God and his people portrayed through this wonderful picture of God's people as God's bride, it finds a new focus in the person of Jesus Christ. And John the Baptist was the first person to comment on this very important change. And in John's Gospel, we're told that John the Baptist proclaims this to the people. He says, you yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine. It is now complete. And if you recall Matthew's Gospel, uh, he reinforces the bride-bridegroom picture in his recording of the teaching of Jesus, uh, first in the parable of the wedding banquet, which we can find in chapter 22, and then in the parable of the ten virgins that are waiting for the bridegroom, which is recorded in Matthew chapter 25. But Paul also takes up this theme, and particularly so in his second letter to the Corinthians, where he writes this to the church. He writes, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I may present you as a pure virgin to him. This then is the background of the picture of God's people as the bride with the New Testament edition, which recognizes the bridegroom as the Lord Jesus Christ. But it would be useful if we were to spend just a few moments to help us understand the custom of a Hebrew marriage. Now, I'm no expert on this, and I've had to read this up. And 
if we go through that, it will give us the framework uh, in which we find ourselves when we investigate this picture of God's people as the bride of Christ. Apparently in a Hebrew wedding, there are three stages. There's a sequence of three events. First of all, there is what's known as the betrothal. And that betrothal is somewhat more binding than the conditions of engagement with which we are more familiar in our present day and age. At the betrothal, the terms of marriage are agreed and God's blessing is pronounced upon the union. And from that time, the betrothal of the bride and bridegroom are legally represented, if not actually, as husband and wife. And following the betrothal, there is an interval until the wedding feast. And during this interval, the bridegroom pays a dowry to the father of the bride. The bridegroom pays a dowry to the father of the bride. And do remember that, because we're coming back to that point in a moment. And then finally, we've had the betrothal, we've had the interval in between, and then the climax is the wedding feast, which includes the marriage supper. So we've already seen that in Scripture, time and time again, the loving relationship between God and his people is compared to the loving relationship between a bride and her bridegroom. But we also note that the Old Testament picture is less profound than that of the New Testament because we see in the New Testament that Jesus Christ himself is identified as the loving bridegroom of the bride, which is now identified as the church. And what we can do then is to piece together the truly amazing picture that the bride and the bridegroom represent in terms of God's redeeming love for his people. For in Christ, we discover that the bride was chosen from eternity. And uh, we're told this profound truth by Paul uh, in Ephesians. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now this, uh, I find, is a truly hairs standing on the back of neck moment. I cannot fully claim to understand it, but God in his wisdom and love has actually chosen you and me to be among his redeemed people before the creation of the universe. In other words, you and I were betrothed to Jesus Christ long before the universe existed. Now, I suggest we leave this particular point as a matter of faith, uh, since I cannot adequately in any way explain it. But it's written for us in black and white, and we have to, through the eyes of faith, rejoice in that. So our betrothal happened a long, long time ago. And as we look through the Old Testament, we see the announcement of the wedding. And in the New Testament, the Son of God in Jesus Christ has assumed flesh 
and is then revealed and identified as the bridegroom to whom you and I are betrothed. And here's another hair standing on the back of the neck moment. Because remember I said that part of that interval included the payment of a dowry? Well, the dowry was paid by the bridegroom to the father of the bride on the cross of Calvary. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross included the payment of the dowry, which is also the price of our redemption. And what a fabulous dowry that was. Its value far surpassing any dowry that has ever been or ever will be paid in human terms. Uh, Peter gives us these wonderful words which reminds us of this. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And so now we're in that interval period. We wait patiently together as the church, which collectively is the bride of Jesus Christ. We wait patiently together for the return of our bridegroom and the wedding feast that will follow his return and our establishment in the realms of heaven forever and ever. You see, this picture of the church as the bride of Christ is so profound and so wonderful. It is a picture that captures the very intimacy of our loving, eternal relationship with Jesus by likening it to the most intimate of loving relationships that we can possibly know on earth, that of husband and wife. And Paul, again, captivates the deep love of Jesus Christ for his bride in the letter to the Ephesians, where he's talking about the relationship between husbands and wives. And I don't really want to go there because I know there's a bit of controversy associated with that. But as we move on, we read this, which is not controversial. Uh, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Uh, That's a difficult bit, but let's look at the next bit, which is really, really critical and very important to us. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word, and to present herself sorry, to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. What is being described there is the bride of Christ, because it's speaking about husbands and wives. And it is Christ who gave himself up for his bride to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing and with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church. You see, the purpose of Jesus Christ goes far, far beyond anything any human husband could achieve for his bride. For the sacrificial act and love of Jesus Christ has been for the purpose of making his bride the church holy and therefore acceptable 
for dwelling eternally in heaven. You know, the church today is holy because of what Jesus has done for it as our bridegroom. And it goes on then that you and I are holy for the same reason. His sacrifice on the cross, his shedding of blood has ensured our holiness. And though we are clearly imperfect today, yet we are still holy since we reflect the saving and the cleansing work of Christ on the cross. Indeed, when God looks at us, he no longer sees our sin, but he sees that radiance that Christ has bestowed upon us. But we will be made completely perfect and we will be presented as the radiant church at the end of time. And that will then herald the beginning of our eternity in heaven. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? It, it, you know, words cannot do that justice, but just grasp something of what that means. Now, the famous preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, and I love reading his stuff, and I love reading some of the sermons that were recorded uh, some years ago. He's very good at just putting some of these thoughts very clearly. And, it, and he wrote this. He said, and that's a picture of him there. Looks quite stern, but he was a very gentle man. Uh, Dare I put it like this? He said, the beauty specialists will have put his final touch to the church. The massaging will have been so perfect that there will not be a single wrinkle left. She will look young and in the bloom of youth with colour in her cheeks and her skin perfect without any spots or wrinkles. And she will remain like that forever and ever. I think that's a lovely way of putting it. And when we look at the church today, of course, it is so easy to be discouraged. We see a church which sadly is frequently divided. We see a church that is despised. We see a church that is undermined and marginalized. And we see a church persecuted around the world. And we see a church in decline. But that's when we look through human eyes. And so isn't it a great comfort and a tremendous encouragement to know that we are the bride of Christ. And that we will be presented one day as the radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. But holy and blameless. And then we come to this passage from Revelation that we read a few moments ago. And that passage catapults us into the future. It takes us to the grand finale of the whole marriage process. We've thought about the, uh, the, the, um, the part where, where, where we're sort of announced and we've, we're in the middle bit. But this takes us through to the end. And here we capture a wonderful glimpse through the eyes of John as he is taken up in the spirit to peep into the future of heaven. And what does he see? Hallelujah. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. That's the first thing he sees. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him the glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And do you know this is the final hallelujah of the Bible? It's the ultimate climax 
And at the centre of that climax is Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, with his beautiful bride, the church. The shout of praise rightly, uh, rightly centres initially on the omnipotence and sovereignty of Lord God Almighty to give our Father in heaven his rightful and full title. And the call is, let us rejoice and be glad. And, and why should we rejoice and be glad? Because the Lord Almighty reigns and because great is our reward in heaven as the bride of Christ. There is no greater reason to rejoice than these two wonderful reasons. Everything else pales into insignificance. All our cares and worries of this world will one day evaporate. Sin will have gone forever and all opposition to God will have ceased And glorious eternity will be yours and mine in the presence of Almighty God, our Heavenly Father. And for this, we are to give him the glory. And that command to glorify God is the natural result of experiencing the reign of God in all his splendour and majesty. And especially of being part of the Bride of Christ, which we are. The reason for this explosion of joy is not because the eternal reign of Jesus Christ has begun, but also because the wedding of the Lamb has started too. The wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Now this statement perhaps implies that the bride has made herself ready in her own strength, Uh, so we need to read the next sentence just to understand that fine linen and uh, bright and clean was given her to wear, was given her to wear, and the fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. And this describes then a twofold truth that it is the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ that has made the wearing of the fine linen bright and clean possible, but also that the church in its turn has made herself ready in the sense that the church is prepared for the return of Jesus Christ. And you might recall that parable that Jesus speaks of in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25. Remember those ten virgins? There were five who were wise and there were five who were foolish, and uh, they were waiting for the bridegroom. And the foolish ones didn't bother to buy any oil for their lamps, uh, but the others, wise ones, did have oil. And When the bridegroom suddenly appeared, the ones who had the oil were ready, but the ones who had no oil had to go out and buy oil. And this is just picking up a couple of the verses. So the foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took in oil in jars along with their lamps. And the tragic result is this. But while they were on their way to buy oil, this is referring to the five foolish virgins, while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. So how do we prepare ourselves for the wedding feast of the Lamb? We do so by remaining faithful to our God. We maintain our testimony for Jesus And maybe there will be times when we will be called to endure hardship. We don't like to think of that, but maybe one day we will be called to do that. And we seek forever to obey God's commands. 
And that's difficult, but we do it in God's strength and through the power of his spirit. But remember that the bride is given clothes to wear. And we can utterly rely upon God for our future and all that we need to be ready as the bride of Christ. And this wonderful climax is your destiny and it's my destiny too. And it is so important that we get that in our minds and in our hearts that John was actually specifically commanded to write this down. Remember we read this last verse as we read it this morning. Then the angel said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. So you are invited. I'm invited too. And there is nothing on earth or in heaven that can prevent or nullify that invitation and our sharing in the wedding supper of the Lamb. Because we are the bride of Christ. We have to be there. And you and I will look splendid, dressed in fine linen and bright and clean. But maybe today that seems so very far from your present experience. Maybe today you're going through an experience of such human bleakness that even as a child of God you're finding it hard to bear. And we thought about that earlier in our service, didn't we? We we prayed for people who are going through such painful, painful times. And for you and me, maybe today is fine, but tomorrow will bring hardship like you've never experienced it before. We live in a fallen world, and we are not immune from experiencing the consequences of that fallenness. Uh, We live in a broken world. But whatever we are experiencing today, and whatever we will have to experience tomorrow or in the future... As we read this passage from Revelation, we know that one day we will be present at the wedding feast. We have seen it through the eyes of John in this book of Revelation. And John was commanded to write it down. So important it is that we understand the certainty and the gloriousness of this occurrence which will happen. And it was the angel himself who testified, these are the true words of God. So where are we? Let us rejoice and be glad. And let us give God the glory which is rightfully his. Are you looking forward to that wedding feast? I know I am.